Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Hey, amen. There sure is a rescue radio. There's a war for our souls. Hey, welcome. Thanks for joining us tonight. And uh, let's pray. Father God, you are God and you are good all the time. And so tonight I pray, Father, that you would give us a new revelation of Jesus Christ through your word through this time together, that you'd empower us, power us up, Lord God, to believe you for great and mighty things, for the impossible, Lord God, because that's where we're heading Um, And so, Father, I just ask tonight that as we talk about your word, understanding, faith, that you would give us uh, the new eyes to see it, new heart to grasp and understand it. And, Lord, that you'd encourage people to to contact and connect with us tonight to bring their questions or comments. And, Lord Jesus, we come against the powers of darkness because you you promised us protection and that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So, We bind those powers of darkness in the name of Jesus Christ and forbid them to hinder this show. Anything that has anything to do with any people who are listening to it, need to listen to it, need to hear it, or will listen to it later, Father, that it will be just clear uh, and protected with the blood of Jesus. Thank you for your word, Lord God. Now give us sound minds. May I speak as the oracles of God. Uh, And I forbid the enemy to snatch any thoughts from our minds or hearts tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm kind of paddling solo again tonight. Um, my husband should be back soon. He is the roving co-host, you know, and he's roaming again tonight. But next week, just FYI, real quick, we're going to be talking about mobilizing men. So I'm pretty sure he'll join us for that. But tonight we have got a subject that's, you know, a common word, common household word for a Christian uh, called faith. But, um, and I'm not quite sure what to title this, um, fixing our faith or uh messing up our faith or faith unfoiled or faith uncovered or just faith. We talked last a couple of weeks ago, actually, about um, uh, people of faith, that faith isn't you know, determined by the outcomes of what we're believing for. But tonight we're going to talk about something, faith from a little different uh, perspective. What is the obstacle to your faith? What is the greatest obstacle to your faith? You know, if faith is a gift, and gifts should be easy, right? You know, they're just given to you. I mean, you know, you don't have to earn them. And But then why is this gift of faith, as we're, you know, told in 1 Corinthians twelve nine, you know, where it's, um, there's the gifts of faith, miracles, healing. Those are the three that are a little more uh, up the ladder of impossible, you know. I mean, it's, it's not that hard to speak in tongues and prophesy in words of knowledge. We're not discounting or trying to grade them on um, difficulty, because order of difficulty, because the Holy Spirit's not got a problem with any of them. But when it comes to believing God, coveting earnestly the spiritual gifts, coveting the gift of faith, you know what you're asking for. You're asking for lots of hard things to believe God for. And miracles and healings are in that category. So um, if you're in that place where you're ready to ask God for these gifts, faith, miracles, and healing, then you've come to the right place tonight. Um, so, 
let's see. Let's learn about faith and the greatest obstacle to walking in it. And by the time we're done talking tonight, I think you're going to be a little shocked at what we find. Okay. Now, here's conundrum for you. Here's a riddle for you. Your faith and what you believe is determined by what you believe about who you believe. What you believe about who you, who you believe. Who do you believe? Do you believe God? The Bible uh, says, whose report are you going to believe? Believe the word of the Lord. Jesus said, how do you hear? Um, pay, pay attention, therefore, how you hear. Um, make note uh, that there's something here very important that we have to understand. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And I don't think there's enough of the word of God heard or rightly divided in our lives to bring us to that solid confidence in faith. But um, what we have to say about it is kind of interesting. Um, so it's who we believe. Whose report are you going to believe? Are you going to rep- believe what God says in his word or what you think, what you feel, what other people say, what you've learned uh, through your experiences? Because our past experiences and that which forms, they form our mindsets. You know, we've been trained. Um, we have personal experiences. We're programmed. We have psychological conditioning or reconditioning. All of these things factor into what we ultimately believe can be possible. And if you're using your finite mind um, to reason about and, and think about and grasp what's possible and what's not possible, we're always going to be stuck. And I'll, I'll show you how that works. First of all, faith is, re, is the required action in following Jesus Christ, right? The just shall live by faith. God doesn't ask us to do a lot of stuff. He just asks us to believe him. He said a lot of things. Some of those things are pretty far out um, and cannot be measured or observed with the human natural mind. And so they have to be believed, embraced by what we call faith. But our mindsets and our, our past experiences have trained us in various ways not to believe anything we can't see or we have to see it before we can believe it or it has to be proven first. But God says, I want you to follow me based on your confidence in my goodness, my faithfulness to keep my word. So following Jesus, you know, is the prerequisite or the required action of every believer. Faith and what we believe about God and his gifts of salvation um, are a critical piece in determining ultimately where we're going to spend eternity. You know, do you believe God? As a matter of fact, salvation comes by the confession of faith. Um, it says in Romans 10, the word is near you, even in your mouth, that if you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead, and if you make that confession with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you are saved. That qualifies you. Even that statement, it may not be backed with superhuman confidence, but it's an act of obedience, an act of the will, an act of, act of declaration that gets you into the, into the race. Basically, before that, there is no race, you know. But now we're on our way to eternity by an act of confession, by an act of faith. And that act of faith doesn't mean that you understand everything. It doesn't mean you know everything. It doesn't mean you've seen everything. It just means you're beginning to choose to believe God's word as true over and above your own ideas or inclinations or notions or persuasions or past experience. All right. So everything is determined, including our actions, based ultimately, ultimately, not on so much on what we um, 
believe, but who we believe. You know, faith is not, I mean, we all talk about truth and it's what is truth and, and what do you believe? And we have doctrines and dogmas and denominations and we all kind of reduce every, all faith, you know, the principles of faith, the tenets of our faith, blah, blah, blah. It's all, we always, always got it rendered in terms of a list of things that we uh, embrace or uh, aspire to as opposed to a person. Just like truth is a person. Truth, truth is not a discussion or a debate or a point um, of interest. Truth is Jesus Christ. Is I am the truth. So faith is determined by who we believe, either God or the devil. That's basically simple. There's either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of darkness. There's not a third kingdom of me or my opinion or my flesh. So a lot of us get really tangled up for nothing because we're not, we're making this too complicated. It's not about you. It's not about you getting rid of your sin, as we've talked about before. It's not about, you know, do I have enough faith? It's not about feeling my faith. It's not about using my soul and my feelings to determine the quality of my faith. It's about an act of obedience, following and trusting that my faith, as well as everything else about me, is being uh, perfected, uh, developed by the indwelling Holy Spirit who lives inside of me. So it's not about me. It's not my problem. Getting more faith isn't uh, obtained by doing a certain list of, of things. It's, it's by abiding in him. So who do we believe? Either God or the devil. Most of us, like I said, get hung up on what is true and not who's telling the truth. What is true versus who's telling the truth. And, you know, the devil is very good at making the lie look like the truth as he mixes so much of it together until it becomes quite palatable and pretty undetectable. Um, it tastes like the truth. It smells like the truth. It sounds like the truth. It feels like the truth. But it's not the truth. Because, ultimately, the fruit shows it. The fruit will de- declare what it really is, if it's good or evil. So, most of the human actions that we take are based on, you know, in our decisions, they're based on the persuasion by another human being. You know, people come up to you, what do you think? They tell you what they think. You have opinions. We have opinions. We have uh, all kinds of devices to persuade us to do something, take some action, buy something, um, believe something, eat something, whatever. Um, so, we're, but, but being persuaded by someone else carries, you know, a couple of serious setbacks and flaws and dangers like coercion and bribery and brainwashing. And, you know, even a lot of our marketing gimmicks and tools are based on the fact that they believe that we're gullible, that we're not going to check it out, that we're not going to really know the truth. We're going to fall for something that looks like the truth, the imitation. Um, So this is the principle behind marketing is that we are, you know, gullible, that we can be persuaded. So, but... So those are the dangers, but our actions um, are based on the other component of making choices is usually human reasoning. And I remember the story um, in in Mark is kind of interesting. Jesus, you know, if you read those Gospels, they're kind of humorous, actually. You know, he he was in the, uh, they had just fed the 5,000 and the 4,000. So you know that the guys knew that Jesus wasn't, the bread wasn't a problem to him. Lunch wasn't a problem. Lack of bread was not a problem. And so the next day they get up and they're going down to 
do whatever they're going to do. And uh, the disciples, it says in verse 14 of Mark 8, ha- had forgotten to take bread that they didn't, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Now, some forgot to pack that day. I don't know whose job it was. Maybe it was Philip. Maybe it was Peter. But they didn't have but one loaf of bread among 12 grown men. And you know that that's not even basically one slice per person. So then they were kind of, you know, keeping it to themselves. They didn't want Jesus to quite know the problem. This is a big super problem, right? We don't have lunch today. (laughs) Three days they didn't have any food, and finally Jesus just fed them. But, you know, this is a big personal problem. We don't have lunch. What are we going to do? Then he charged them saying, and he was talking to them. He said, take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, the, of Herod. Now, leaven has to do with making bread. So they connected the dots, leaven, bread, no lunch. Uh-oh, you know, he's on to us. We're in trouble now. So it says they reasoned among themselves saying, it's because we have no bread. So they drew a conclusion that he was talking to them kind of uh, indirectly about forgetting to take along bread because he's talking about the leaven of the of the Harris, of the Pharisees and the and the, and the Herod, Herodians. What he's talking about there is the wickedness, the the little bit of yeast or whatever that will um, contaminate the whole loaf or go through the whole mixture to to influence the whole batch of bread, the dough, to make it rise or make it you know influence it all in the same direction. So they're worried about, they're missing the whole point. The whole reasoning has got them totally missing the whole point. And Jesus, being aware of it, of what? Of their reasoning among themselves, said to them, why do you reason? Because you have no bread. I mean, it's like he was reading their minds or he actually had maybe heard what they were kind of trying to keep secret. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Is your heart still hardened? In other words, he's saying, you're, you're missing it, guys. It's not about bread. It's about a hardened heart. It's about having eyes to see. And I think we're there. I think a lot of us have totally missed the point of the gospel. We're so busy trying to be perfect, be good, uh, make God happy, keep the rules, that we've, we've missed the whole point of the gospel is life. Life abundantly. A life that moves in freedom and rest and, and power and peace. Not life that's um, stacks itself up on reasoning and topples over every time there's a little, you know, incident or problem. God is, he says, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Now, the world's a big place and there's a lot to it. Faith gives us the ability to faith in him to rest, to not push the panic button of our life, to um, be prepared even when we're not prepared, to, to go forward in the strength of God. When we are weak, then he says he is strong. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? So not only did they miss the point in seeing and understanding, hearing what he was saying, they didn't even remember what he had done two days ago. When I broke the five loaves, now he's bringing them back to the remembrance, the experience of the miracle or miracles. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. Oh, 12 real baskets of real fragments of bread were the testimony of the miracle. That was the hardcore evidence. They started out with, 
you know, five loaves and end up with 12 baskets left over what had ever gone through the baskets that people had eaten. And then he goes on, and when I broke the seven, um, seven loaves, for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said seven. So we have seven baskets of fragments that came from seven loaves of bread. I don't see the, these kitchen. These aren't the kitchen miracles we see today. I mean, you know, multiplying the food and, and, you know, whatever needs to be done. We don't see those. We don't see this kind of response, divine response to our earthly need often. I'm not saying that we should see it every day, but we do need to understand and appreciate that behind the scenes, God is working every day. So he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? What is your problem? You know, we might have a better answer to that question. Well, I've never seen it. I've never seen five loaves multiplied into 12 baskets of fragments. And, but he's saying to them, he's saying, what is your problem? Why don't you understand? You know, now we may get to that point where we do get to see these things and get to understand them. And maybe even God will use us to do them. But let's, let's go forward. By the way, if you want to call and talk to me about this, if you've got something to say, I'd love to hear from you or a question. Um, our, our number is 347-215-8051. And if you don't call me, I'll just keep talking. <laughs> All right. I hope I'm not talking too fast tonight. I mean, ears, they say, can hear faster than, um, than mouths can talk. So. so we're basing a lot of our actions and decisions on our own human reasoning. So, but we just explained faith in God, faith in the miraculous, faith in the impossible cannot be found or calculated or understood or grasped by human reasoning because um, it is it actually it's more apt to be found in the rejection, the specific rejection of human reasoning in that is in the deliberate choosing of that which appears ridiculous to the human mind. So, you know, the miracle of the, of the loaves and fishes was absurd to the mind. It was, there's the mind says, no, nah, that's, that's not possible. That never happens. That can't happen. There's no way that can happen. But, we, you know, this proud, arrogant, confident, assurant mind that we use for everything is basically grounded, specifically grounded in past observations and experiences. So if you've never experienced uh, miracles in your natural world, then you're not going to be able to, you're not going to believe they exist or are possible. And, but the, the, you know, our mind or human reasoning is really threatened by anything beyond its control, like the supernatural or anything rooted in the spiritual realm. So a lot of times people are trying to put God in a box uh, and, and keep him confined, contained into, into the human reasoning, the natural world. And so he doesn't, you know, become scary to them because they are in control of God. Like putting God on a leash, I don't think it's going to work, but maybe it'll make you feel better to think it might work. So what do you think? <laughs> do you have any ideas? Do you have any questions so far? You know, the problem in explaining things, by the way, we, reasoning, it's one of human beings. When The people who think, it's one of their favorite pastimes. We have philosophers, we have, you know, um, the writers of books and prognosticators and but so it's a favorite pastime however um if reasoning fails to give us all the information all the facts that we need to set up the game and understand what's really going on then reasoning has already failed before it's even begun 
Um, now, here's a problem. Here's one possible problem that reasoning might uh, have not thought of. If, if only God exists in your world as the cause and explanation for everything that is seen, and not everything that is seen is good, as you may have already observed, then God is a mixture of good and not good, predictable and unpredictable, and not trustable, unsafe, ultimately, scary. Mm. So if God has to be the explanation for good and evil and you don't put a, uh, an adversary in there, then God becomes treacherous, I would say. If there's no devil in your world or in the explanation that your reason gives you for what's happening in it, that is, by the way, a necessary and often used denial or device of denial to eliminate the idea of hell. Because people don't believe, they want to know about hell, believe it, they don't want to you know, admit it exists or could possibly exist because then they would have to get serious about dealing with it. So they come up with an explanation for evil, which basically um, rests its its um, its its uh, whatever its existence, yeah, on God. So, you know, some people they say, well, they, there's no God. I'm an atheist. I'm an agnostic. But so if, if so, if there's no God in your equation, then there's just you. Then you are responsible for all the evil in the world. Oh, ouch! Don't want to go there. Back up a little bit, okay? <laughs> Which most of us are convinced, we are convinced that at least, at least our reasoning is convincing us that we exist. I mean, we haven't seen God, we haven't seen the devil, we haven't seen heaven, we haven't seen hell, we haven't seen the miracle of 5,000 loaves, or uh, five loaves and seven loaves and 5,000 people fed. We haven't seen any of that, but we've seen ourselves and we're kind of convinced we exist. So at least we know that we're in that equation. But this leaves us with a dilemma. Yeah. Yeah, if the only uh, two options for explaining evil present in the world are God or us, then what? Then what? Logically, either God or us has to be responsible for or the explanation for all the evil, bad things out there. So you can use these kinds of understanding logical arguments um, to present to people who believe that there is no devil. Then God is both good and bad. And then we're back to basically nothing. Because if God is not good all the time, then we got nothing. You know, then why do you want to go to heaven again? All right. So, but, you know, if we're the reason for all the bad in the world, the explanation is simple enough, then we're depraved. Yeah, we, I don't want to be depraved. The Bible says we're enslaved, not depraved. Some denominations get real hung up on that depravity of man thing and the sinful human nature stuff. And um, and there's explanations for bad behavior and depravity and, and things that people do that are depra- depraved. But it doesn't come from uh, and it, 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 you know our own source of goodness or badness. It comes from the temptation of the evil one who is depraved. But here's the problem. If, like some churches and groups say, that we're depraved, you know, and if all those horrible atrocities come out of us being depraved, then if we're born that way or created that way as depraved, then what about some of us who do really nice things, you know, really good things, really sacrificial things like donate a kidney or those who hid the Jews during the Holocaust in World War II or, 
even pulling over to the side of the road to help a stranger. Where, how do you explain that? You, you see, a lot of times our explanations for things just don't ring true all the way to the end. Therefore, they are incomplete. These theories of depravity do not carry out as true all the way through the circumstances. And when they're, then, then they're faulty. They're wrong. They're incomplete. And we do not need to defend them. You do not need to defend a wrong position. As a matter of fact, you should make your life real simple and get rid of a whole lot of wrong things you believe and just stick with the truth. And then you don't have to put yourself out on the line for something that doesn't even matter and it's probably just an opinion. You should check that out. What are you saying these days? What comes out of your mouth? Say, ask yourself, who's talking to me? Who said that? Where did that come from? Take captive every thought. Is that my opinion? And does my opinion really matter? Absolutely not. It really doesn't. So get over yourself and realize that your opinion is probably not worth defending. It's probably not worth getting mad, enraged, uh, bitter about. It's, it's definitely not worth going to hell over. And so I'd say follow Jesus and let this other stuff just go. But so if we deny the existence of the devil, which a lot of people do, and or his agenda to destroy humans and their lives, guess what then? Then we will not live by faith, but we'll be very superstitious, which breeds fear. Because we have no explanations for anything other than our bad behavior, which makes me bad, which makes us troubled because we don't want to be bad. We're made by God to want to be good. And so when you don't tell kids the truth about what they're, why they're behaving the way they are, you just say, well, you've got to be good. You don't say, honey, you are good and you just got tricked by a lie. You know, we need to get back to the truth, you know. Tell so-and-so you're sorry, repent, change your mind, get back to who you really are. But, you know, kids, then they begin to believe they're evil. No, they're going to be evil. They're going to be bad. They're going to carry it out. So without the devil in the equation, actually, we become superstitious and afraid. So the devil is a good thing to put in your equation, actually, believe it or not. He really, in a, in a backwards kind of way, deals with superstition makes things more understandable, and takes away your fear. You say, but I'm afraid of the devil. I'm afraid of evil. Well, I'm more afraid of something that doesn't exist, which makes me evil, than something that is evil that exists. Do I have to say that again? I hope not. (laughs) Rewind the tape. Okay. (laughs) Okay, people. But if there is a devil, that's easy. It changes everything, and it makes total spiritual sense. Now God is not crazy. God is an enemy. God's dealing with his enemy. His enemy is testing his workmanship in us. And a lot of the stuff that you're being plotted, that's being plotted against you, how you're being tricked um, to fall for the lie so that the devil can bring a demonic judgment against you through the law and make you feel like you're bad and you broke the law and God's mad at you. It works well to explain a whole lot of things if we put the devil in the equation. Um, But so, and that's also good because it creates two sources of information and the possibility then of the distinction between truth and the lie. And so everything's not melting together as, as coexisting and who cares and there's no right and wrong and there's no heaven and hell, no good and evil. There's no point to anything and do what you want to do because it doesn't matter. Changes radically into to live as Christ, to die as gain in him we live and move and have our being. I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Um, there's a purpose for your life. I love you. I have a plan for your life. Uh, yeah. Which would you like? The first or the second option? So the distinctions between good and evil, between truth and lie, 
goodness and evil, are very important because this understanding alone, just putting the devil in the, in the whole picture, can solve so many of the messy mixtures of, that life hands us. You know, okay, so for example, let's just say you're, you're married to somebody or you've got a child that just acts like the devil. Not all the time, but maybe two-thirds of the time. So you're trying to figure out, and then, and then they give you mixed messages, double messages, contradictory messages, and you can't figure out, well, do they have multiple personality? Are they um, disassociative? Are they a pathological liar? Um, what are they? You know, are they a um, shoplifter? What are they? How can they be my beloved and at the same time acting like this? And the only way we can explain that is to realize that your beloved person is being manipulated, controlled, like like one of those remote little helicopters you know, or remote controlled cars. They're being controlled by a program that's running in their soul that's causing them to be vindictive, divisive, bitter, um, one moment bas- bashing you, badgering you, hating you, acting literally like the devil. I know some of you are married to somebody like that. And, you know, <laughs> that's not fun, but it sure is helpful to realize that if it's really a devil you're up against and a demon is controlling them, it's a lot easier to forgive that person, love them, and pray for them, and take the sword of God's word and begin to separate that spirit off of them. Because you can, if they belong to you, if they're part of you. You know, if you're married to them or they're your children or whatnot. So, now here's something interesting to think about. Um, And I'm sure most of you have probably never thought of this, because you're too busy washing dishes, driving the car, going to work, changing diapers, you know, feeding the baby, and I'm sure this is never. But you probably notice this if you pay attention. Anytime you clean, anytime you wash your car, anytime you, um, you know, wash the clothes, anytime you do the dishes, that evil, the lie that is unholy, can be mixed with the holy. In other words, things can get dirty. You can have a clean shirt, and it gets mixed with a little mud, and it's dirty. But that evil always brings forth evil and defiles the holy, making it unclean. Mud always makes a shirt dirty. Okay. Mud never makes a shirt clean. Okay. So evil lies make things unclean. Dirty always makes clean dirty. Dirty things, dirty always makes clean dirty. Clean never makes dirty clean. I know you're like, <laughs> what is she talking about? <laughs> okay, listen. When, you're, when you take clean water and you wash down the floor, okay, the dirty floor, never makes dirty clean. The clean water that you're using to wash the dirty floor makes the floor clean, but the water gets dirty, right? So in the, in the temple, he said, God said it this way, you know, if there's something unholy, unclean, a vessel, for example, a bowl or an instrument, it, if it touches anything, it contaminates it. It defiles it. But if something holy brushes past something that's unclean, that holy thing cannot make the unclean thing holy, unless we're talking about the Word of God and the blood of Jesus. Those are the only two things that can make things clean. And the water cannot be muddy to start with. So when the, when the Word of God is muddy and misappropriated, wrongly divided, it cannot bring freedom. It cannot bring truth and purity and holiness. It can only bring more muddy mess. So holy things are holy. 
unclean things are unclean. And when you mix the two, you get a mess, a muddy mess. So the word of God is called the water of the word, right? And it says that we are washed by the water and of the word. And so when you feel dirty, clean, mussed up, you know, how many times a day do you wash your hands in the sink? If you're not OCD, you probably do it at least maybe 20 times. Maybe if you're OCD, maybe do it 300 times. I don't know. But, and be, by the way, washing your hands does not make your soul clean. But we wash because we got messy hands. We got mada, we got something on them that needs to come off. And so the Word of God washes your soul, like the water coming from the faucet washes your hands. So if you're feeling a little cake, cake, caked up and muddy and, you know, how it is, sweaty, hot and sweaty and weary, dreary, discouraged, just take a bath, take a shower in the Word of God, just read it. Take off your religious glasses and just read it. Just meditate. Go slow. You don't have to rush through it. It's not a speed reading course, okay? You meditate on it. It's good for us. And it has to be rightly divided to produce that true freedom and cleansing. So who you are believing becomes essential based, of course, on what they did and said. Now, we're basing our belief on God. And God says he cannot lie. So if God cannot tell a lie, then if he did tell a lie, he's a liar. Now, and the bigger problem is if he told one lie in the Bible, then, and, he, and we're not sure which statement is the lie, then any one of the statements could become or be the lie, which means the whole thing is worthless because we're not sure which one phrase or verse is the lie. So when you come to the Word of God, you have to make a categorical, um, make a decision. You, know, you see, either, either you believe God cannot lie, he's good, he doesn't lie, he never lies, and even if it sounds like contradictory and doesn't make sense and seems ironic and a paradox, I'm still not going to call God a liar because I don't understand it. I will understand it if I give the Holy Spirit a chance to show it to me. And I believe you need to ask him, okay, God, this doesn't make sense to me. Show me what you mean here. Show me. Give me a story. Give me a picture. Give me a parable. And you know what? Pretty soon, you're going to start growing in God. You're going to start seeing things. You're going to start getting revelations. And, and those, aha, oh, I get that. Instead of relying on everybody else's revelation, God is going to start giving you your own revelations. And then they will be yours. They will be real. And they will cause you to grow up. Okay. So far, are you following me? All right. You getting tired of listening? Okay. If you're getting tired of listening, why don't you take a breath? Take a break, and we'll try a little commercial here. You know, the big issue problem sometimes is, one of the problems is sin. If I'm still sinning after I'm saved, maybe I'm not saved. Maybe I lost my salvation. Maybe I wasn't really saved in the first place. Maybe it was a false conversion. All of these doubtful things the devil brings as a possibility to distress us is talked about in, if I'm a Christian, why do I still sin? Go ahead. Okay, so now I'm saved. I'm not living like I used to, but I find myself still sinning. So now I am a saved sinner, right? But how much can I sin and still be saved? Maybe I've really blown it and lost my salvation, or maybe I really didn't get saved at all because the more I try to be good, the worse I seem to get. And if I can't be good at being good, maybe I should just forget this whole thing and go back to being good at being bad. All this being saved and living to please God stuff just isn't working for me. Many believers are caught in these age-old struggles. Marjorie Cole has prepared a must-hear CD entitled, If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin? 
This timely CD takes a clear and close look at the meaning of forgiveness and the futility of trying to be good in order to be saved. Marjorie helps you discover truth from God's Word that will give you the power and freedom to live without the frustration, discouragement, and self-condemnation you may have been going through. To order your copy of If I'm Saved, Why Do I Still Sin?, go to liferecovery.com. Again, go to liferecovery.com. Amen. Good job, honey. (laughs) Let's go back to human reasoning for a minute. And human reasoning is a big enemy, enemy. Enemy number one to faith. Your reasoning, the way the devil puts the argument together, the way he puts the debate together in your soul and, and challenges your spirit. Human reasoning is the work of the human mind. Okay. The human mind can only think, you know, therefore... Um, all it, it works out of it, it. It works its conclusions from from within a premise of doubt, because thinking is, I'm not sure. I think is going to be okay. So if your mind is working under the counsel of a premise based on doubt to begin with, with not knowing for sure, then if the first premise starting out point for searching out a problem and finding the truth or bringing the matter into a conclusion of truth is doubt, skepticism and error. Only confusion can come out of that. You've already thrown doubt in as the, as, the, as the basis, thinking as the basis for concluding, and all it can do is open the door to, I think, I doubt, I'm not sure. So confu- confusion will prevent a final conclusion of absolute certainty from anything that's ever drawn out of human reasoning or human mind. If the only thing the mind knows for sure, listen to this, is that it does not know anything for sure. Because, you know how it is. Oh, they'll say to you, well, how do you know that? What makes you think that's going to happen? You know, I saw the other thing happen. I, I, it, never, it never goes that way. What makes you think that your mind is going to be able to give you a confident, absolute, faith-based, I'll give my life for it answer? The only thing the mind knows for sure is that it, it, it cannot know anything for sure. Then the only thing that's certain is doubt, right? So you have doubt in your mind. So doubt is right there, a player in your mind, the very room that you're using to try to figure out whether God is true or not. It's starting to sound a little scary, isn't it? A little precarious, a little um, uh, flimsy, if you ask me. Therefore, using human reasoning and the human mind to draw a solid and valid conclusion and to solve a basic problem is unreliable and impossible. So, what is really impossible, the real impossibility here, is to think that we can use our human mind and human reasoning to know anything for sure. And yet, almost all of us default back to our minds or our emotions to validate faith, validate God's word. We're using our finite uh, instruments, you know, our mind, our emotions, to validate an infinite being. I say it's like trying to pick a star out of the sky with the same tweezers you use to pluck your eyebrows. (laughs) It's not going to work. People, 
You can't use your reasoning to substantiate the, fine, the infinite. So, if the three elements of our soul, now what are they? They're the mind, the will, and the emotions, are already set to default, to a default, a weakness that prevents certainty can, and can only bring a dubious or doubtful conclusion. Why are we so determined to use these instruments, the finite, like I said, to explain and explore the infinite? Do you and I, do you like to spend your time going around in circles? Um, you know, just what is that futility? How does that make your life go better? Fruitfulness is good. Foolishness is not. Wasting time and doing things over and over and spinning around in circles is not my idea of abundant life or having fun, you know. So, if we go back to faith in God, we must admit it will never be understood, discovered, or endorsed by our finite mind. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing what? The word of God. It is not, and, and, and discerned, interpreted, to us, that word of God, interpreted to us by the Holy Spirit who understands the mind of Christ, who understands the will of God, who prays for us accordingly. You are not alone in your life, in your world. You're not alone. I mean, that's the big freak out. I'm alone. Oh, no, what am I going to do? You're not alone. That's a lie. You are not alone. You have Christ if you're saved. You have Christ indwelling you through his Holy Spirit. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you orphans. I will not abandon you. And if you just be quiet and ask, talk, meditate, think upon those things that he said, you'll know the Holy Spirit's in there. And you can, you can pay attention to what your soul is freaking out over, or you can walk in the Spirit. They're not the same thing. Your Spirit to, to God he downloads, his Holy Spirit downloads to our spirit the things of God. The Bible says the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner rooms of the heart. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9-11, For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man, which is in him? And it says, and the Holy Spirit shows us those things, reveals those things to us. So when you get saved, it's like your little candle, which was your spirit, got lit. It was dead in sins and trespasses. It was not lit. It was not working. You get saved, and God lights your candle. Things start to make sense, come together, and he begins to take you on a tour of your life. And then, basically, when you get saved, come to Jesus, make your declaration, believe God. That's when all hell breaks loose, and the devil really turns up the heat because he is so nervous. Now he's afraid he's lost you for good, which he has, but you don't know that yet. So he's still hoping he can convince you to come back to his side because your life's going to be a whole lot easier, at least temporarily, if you do that. But in the long run, the devil is a cheater, a liar, and uh, he doesn't play fair. He doesn't keep his, um, his only one intention is to destroy us. Now, but... If it's a matter of, of, you know, what really, what faith requires is not reasoning, but an intelligent and dignified surrender of human reasoning to God. Say, God, you know what? I can't figure it out. I don't, how many of us spend most of our time trying to figure something out? We're just built that way to fix and figure out. 
Remember when Adam and Eve sinned? That was the first thing they did. They did two things, actually. They hid, and they tried to fix the problem by covering themselves with fig leaves, which is the first version of religion, if you believe it or not. Religion covers nakedness. How cool is that? I'm being sarcastic here. Didn't really work. Just in case you didn't know I was being sarcastic. All right. Because I can't see and you can't, you don't see my body language. So, I mean, you know, I'm going to have to just spell it right out for you. All right. So they thought that they could fix and figure it out. And that's us. We're problem solvers to the max. And do we have enough problems to solve to keep us busy all of our life? Oh, you bet. And if you don't have enough, the devil will think up a few more before you wake up tomorrow morning so you have a whole new batch. But, you know, the only thing you can do with all those problems, seriously, is surrender them. Give them to God. Keep saying, God, I forgive them, if somebody's doing something to you, and say, God, this is your problem. I'm your servant. You're the Lord. You're obligated to provide for me what I need. I'm just doing my job. If you don't like my job, tell me to get to do a different job. That's it. Make it simple. Keep it straightforward. It's not about you. It's about God. His workmanship in you is love for you. So, now, so dignified, intelligent surrender of the mind, of human reasoning, um, to the most powerful authority in the universe doesn't seem like stupid to me. You know, he is the one who unashamed, unashamedly, you know, credits himself with the creation of all things. Even if we deny it, even if his creatures say, no, you didn't, you didn't make me. God says, yes, I did. You silly little goose, you. (laughs) How can you not know that? I mean, we live in such a mixed up mess. You know, we've got the beautiful nature, the trees, the birds, the lakes, the rivers. the, And then we've got the concrete jungle, which we mostly habitate, which God never built a concrete jungle for Adam and Eve. He built them a garden, a nice garden, because it was much more restful, much more organic, much more conducive to the kind of life he wanted for them, a good life of, of uh, beautiful beauty life, vitality. Okay, so even if you're going to deny God's existence, it would be sort of like looking at the Sistine Chapel ceiling and saying, no, there's no Michelangelo. That just is a, that, that, that's just a consequence of erosion and random chance and molecules that, you know, came together to make these magnificent paintings. It's just, it's just, it's evolution. It's just, not the hand of an artist that did this. That's kind of like denying creation, you know, denying God, the God of creation. But, and not only did he make everything, but he made everything out of nothing, which in itself is quite a unique feat because us, we all need stuff to make stuff with or, you know, mess stuff up with, whatever. Um, But he brought things into being by his spoken word, by his will as he spoke things into being. And by the way, it is interesting that words have sounds and sounds are vibrations and everything is composed of vibrations. Even, you know, this microphone, even that banana you had for breakfast, everything is made up of vibrations, which kind of takes it all back to the spoken word of God, you know. In the beginning, he said, right? Then, 
Okay, so who do we think we are? We have no power within ourselves to do anything like this, no creation like this, and use only the power that we have to destroy or reshape or repurpose the things that God made, and yet we think we have the power to tell God he doesn't exist, that his word, to believe, is, is, is way too much, that we have to see it, we have to own it, we have to control it, we have to manage it, it has, it has to be our way or the highway. You say that to God? Oh, God is so patient. He lets us say that for a while. But then, then really seriously, the truth comes out. So then we think we are the ones who have power and we can, we've come by it in our own, you know, arrogant, arrogant uh, abilities. But really it's an ignorance because, you know, we're exercising our free will that God gave us to choose to reject the only reasonable explanation in the existence of, for the existence of God, ourselves, and everything. We're using the free will God gave us to reject the explanation God gave us, which is the only reasonable explanation for everything. Yeah. Because that reasonable explanation stands beyond the grasp of our human finite reasoning. So, here you have it again. We're trying to walk by faith using a finite instrument called our minds. Faith in God and believing what he says requires the surrender of our very finite, ineffective, unsuitable reasoning tools and thinking. And even experimentation and discourses and discussions and proposed theories and alternative explanations. You know, how many philosophers do we have? How many people have wrote a book? How many theories do we have about everything? Um, and all of it is just a bunch of talk, talk shows, radio talk shows, talk, 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 talk. And what does it resolve? What does it do? Really, not much of anything. We're getting down to the core of what really is in our lives, what really matters, what's really real. And I think that hopefully you will know that. I mean, you do know that, but you'll admit it to yourself so we can move forward. So. So, but you know what, to surrender to the truth, to surrender to faith that has never been defeated, is not brought us to shame, but brings us to glory, that is wisdom. That's wisdom. So, I got a question. What hinders that surrender? What, what makes us resistant, rebellious, um, uh, arrogant, ignorant, well, you could, a lot of things actually. Some of us are just zombified. We're stupefied. We're, um, hey, can I say this on the radio? We're idiots. We're idiots. We're, will, we're, we're um, useful idiots for the devil's kingdom. I think that term has already been coined, so don't give me the, you know, the, the credit for it. But So the hindering of our surrender, why, why do we keep such strong allegiances to fear and pride when pride is simply the covering of fear? Did you ever notice that people are really insecure if they can if they can afford it they'll wear lots of you know clothing expensive clothing jewelry cars so that you get distracted by what they've got on what they're wearing what they're driving what they're driving so you don't notice how insufficient insignificant un- incapable they feel pride makes its greatest both in nothing as it, it it's kind of a distraction a defense for fear it kind of creates an illusion of power or illusion of this and that. And a lot of people really fall for it. They really do. Look at my fine, 
fancy, nicer than yours, whatever. And don't even think you don't don't think you're going to mess with me. Just leave me alone. So, so it just shuts our mouth. We kind of walk away. We kind of feel less than we don't touch those kind of people. We leave them be because they're better than us. No, they're more insecure than us. Really, seriously. You know, if you can't be comfortable because you have to dress up to prove yourself is important to somebody, then you're insecure. If you can be yourself, know God and walk, then you can walk in the midst of kings. And it's not going to be, you know, Paul says, I know whatever state I'm in, they're with to be content. I can be thrown in the prison. I can talk to the king. It doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's all in a day's work. It doesn't matter. So it's not about us. You know, so we can't, you know, try to get our sense of worth and value and worthiness based on things. That's the devil's proposal. So, Anybody out there want to talk to me yet? Do you need the phone number again? Got anybody? Nobody's in the chat room. What's up with this? You know, mowing their lawn tonight or, um, you know, what? What are they doing? Going to their kids' baseball games or um, watching some TV show or, man, I feel really hurt, people. No, last week, actually, there was a, quite a few of you hiding out. Um, I don't know if you're in the chat rooms, but, we, you know, we have a way of finding out how many of you are listening. We just don't know who yet. But God knows who. So encourage your friends. I mean, if you can't listen, I understand. Lifetime, Tuesday night, 7 to 9, kind of crazy, busy schedule. You know, life happens. So we just are trusting that you're um, pulling this on out of the archives and listening to it as you go on your merry way somewhere. All right. And that you'll get to the, listen to the whole thing. You won't get too bored. So, all right. So, so you know what? Do we want to live? prefer to live under the domination of fear. Why? Um, you know, if we believe, if you really believe God is not that good all the time, or most of the time he is, but sometimes he's not, because he gave my daughter cancer, or he didn't answer my prayer, or he did this or that. When you've got those kind of questions like, why? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why, Job, why, why, God, why are you doing this to me, God? You know, I'm a righteous man, you know. And he went on to tell God how righteous he was. And he, he, he didn't get it. He didn't know that the devil was testing him because the devil had challenged God, you know. So if we believe God is this mixture of truth and error, good and evil, and is not good all the time and loving and wise and completely righteous in every situation, then of course we're going to not trust him, right? I have a caller. All right. Yes. Hello. Hi. Hi. Do you have a question? Do you have a comment? Well, yes, I do. I um Are you there? I'm here. I'm listening. Okay. I I am listening about faith and I just wanted to say that I had a big aha moment myself about faith not too long ago. And it was thanks to you at one of your classes, but it was in reference to one of the scripture verses in Romans that talks about how we are saved by the faith of Jesus. And mm-hmm. when I heard that, it was huge. Yeah. But I think what happens, at least what happened to me, and I think what a lot of other people happens is 
um, I was told, you didn't pray hard enough for for my dad. And Mm -hmm. so he died of his cancer. I was told that. And so therefore, I think, I don't have enough faith. And Ah. so when, when, when I realize it, I didn't have to have the faith. It was Jesus' faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like this huge boulder fell off my shoulders. Of guilt. But, of guilt. Mm-hmm. Yes, of guilt and also relief that I don't have to have that strength because I can't. Right, exactly. But, but I have a question because mm-hmm. I want to know how can I walk out that faith? What to walk oh. out that faith every day? Well, how you do follow you know? Jesus. You, you, how do you know? Well, that's a question I would say to you. How do you, how do you, how do you is from hell. Asking you, how do you, when it's already been and being done for you through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So how do I is always those kinds of questions. How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I walk in faith? How do I walk it out? I always come from the, the one who wants to challenge our position in Christ. We're in Christ. Christ is in us through the Holy Spirit. And as you said, truly, it is the faith of Christ that does things. And going back to the incident with your father and not having enough faith, when people, when people want to have answers, they give explanations that sometimes are very uh, defective. For example, you didn't have enough faith. Well, that's how they explain your father's passing. Well, you know what? Number one, it could have been God's time. Number two, it could have been a lie that your father was believing. Number three, it could have been a de- demonic judgment of guilt that the, the enemy had put on your, on your father to claim his life prematurely um, that he did not realize and therefore he did not um, surrender to the Lord on that or, or renounce it or confess the truth. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of explanations for why these bad things happen and people just say, it's, it, you didn't have enough faith. Well, because the bad thing happened, you didn't have enough faith. Because the answer didn't come, you didn't have enough faith. Well, you know what? I've got to go back to Jesus and, you know, the people he worked with and ministered with. And, yeah, it was Jesus. But guess what? Some of them had no faith. Some of them had, their friends had faith for him, like the paralytic guy. Um, uh, the, the guy at the pool of Bethesda had a bad attitude. No faith plus a bad attitude. You know, Jesus said, do you want to be well? And he said, well, I've been 38 years and I can't get in the pool. And everybody else jumps in before me and it's not fair and blah, 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 blah. So he had not only no faith, but he had a bad attitude. He wasn't even looking to be healed. Jesus picked him out out of all those people there. And I think the only reason he did this because God was tired and sad for this man, seeing him 38 years there just kind of being, that's a long time to be in a bad spot, you know. Mm-hmm. So the love of God just demonstrated itself for for no reason other than the love of God. And then, and then you have Lazarus who was totally dead and his sisters who were mad. So they didn't have a whole lot of faith. Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. But it was at that point the faith of Jesus pulled all this stuff together. Now you could say, well, Paul didn't have enough faith because he got shipwrecked and he got beaten up. And, and if, if Daniel would have had more faith, he wouldn't have got thrown in the lion's den. And if Joseph would have had more faith, he wouldn't have you know, had a, you know, be in prison for all those years. So that's just silliness because that the trial of our faith, the the testing of it's really the testing of your perseverance to continue to believe God in spite of the obstacles, the the resistance, the um, attack, 
of the enemy, even through friends and, and, you know, church council or whatever. It's just to stay in that place of peace. But your question is, how can I get more faith? Well, actually, in, in um, Luke chapter 17, I think it is. Maybe it's 13. Hold on. I'll check it out. Um, the disciples asked Jesus the same question. They said, um, yeah. Um, let's see. Hold on. Um, Luke. And then, yeah, 17. He says, 17 verse um, 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. In other words, how do we get more faith? We want to have more faith. So what did he say? Basically, he said something that seems to make no sense to their question. But he always did that. I mean, you ask a question to the Lord and he'll give you an answer that doesn't even seem like it's answering the same question you asked. He's got an answer, but it seems like it doesn't fit what you've asked. He says, if you have faith as a, as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be planted, plucked up or pulled up, by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Then he goes on to tell the story, which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep, working all day, in other words, and say to him when evening comes out of the, comes out of the field, come, sit down and eat, oh, be taken care of, you know, relax, you know, ha, you know, put your feet up, I'll take care of you. But will not rather say to the servant, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterwards you will eat and drink. Then you will eat. The servant, does he thank the servant because he has done the things that he commanded him? I think not. He's saying servants go through hard things. You and I are servants of God. And we're proving our worth, our value, not our salvation, but we're proving our, our, our um, value to him as servants um, and our integrity and the quality of our faith and in, in our faithfulness. So he's saying... If you want more faith, be more faithful. If you want more faith, you know, practice your faith in believing in the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God. So really, if you want more faith, I'd say meditate on the goodness of God and his love for you. Just, just let your faith be built on the confidence of God's faithfulness, that God cannot lie, that God will do what he says he's going to do, and God cares for you, knows about you, knows everything about you. And so then you will stay in the place of peace. Because if you go with the, how do I do this? How do I do that? Immediately you're putting some pressure, stress upon yourself to be religious, to do something. And where does that get you? Right, right back where I started from. Yeah, stressed and uptight. And is that the fruit of the Spirit? No. Through the Spirit no. is rest, joy, peace. So this job of building faith in us is the job of the Holy Spirit. As we follow Jesus, as you and I make the choice to follow Jesus, whatever that looks like today, wherever that takes me today, it may, it may not let me, uh, it may take me away from my list of things I thought I was going to do today. But following Jesus, knowing, not thinking and feeling and hoping it turns out, but knowing, knowing that all things work together for good, knowing that God is not against us, knowing that God is for us, knowing that that he has promised that he all things work together for good. When you look at the bad that's happening, you know, a lot of times we see the bad. There's, I say it this way, so both God and Satan are working in the same place at the same time to do the opposite thing. So I'll say, okay, God, we saw what the devil wanted to do. Here it is. You know, he just drowned out my garden. Okay, so God, what are you doing? 
I want to see what you're doing, you know. Yeah. And, I, you know. and so God, he's got a plan. You know, he's got, and, and, and you know, the plan is, first of all, when your garden is all drowned out and your potatoes rotted in the ground, and which I'm sure that's not uncommon these days, um, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, God, I'm so mad at you. You know, you're supposed to, you know, answer every prayer of mine. And I can't believe you did this to me. And, you know, I'm going to go pout in the corner until you shape up God. <laughs> no, it's like, okay, God, you are perfecting that which concerns me. The devil stole from me and you told me he was a thief. And so I'm going to ask you now to make him put everything back he's stolen times seven or 12 or whatever number you want to pick, I suppose. And, and I'm going to see what God's going to do. I want, I want God to be glorified in this mess. And if there's no messes, God would never be glorified because there's never a miracle unless there's a mess. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So if you want faith, you're, you're asking to see miracles. And God is saying, okay, if you need that mulberry bush or that mountain moved into the ocean, it's, only, it's not done with human reasoning. It's do, not done with natural uh, logic or or, or, or problem-solving skills. It is done through the Spirit of God, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, this mountain shall be removed. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay. Is there, any more, is there anything else? Yeah, thank you. And, um, yeah, is there anything else? Call me back. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's that's a real common question, a real common situation when people, you know, it's almost like Job's comforters come around again and say, well, you know, you must have sinned, you don't have enough faith. I mean, seriously, I mean, it's hurtful because um, we care about our friends and what they say and, and how they see us and, and when they judge us, which this basically is a judgment, they're judging you for not having enough faith, but, you know, that's we got to be careful. Don't judge lest you be judged. That's the bottom line. Um, it's going to come around, and you don't want to do that to someone else if you don't want that to be done to you. The golden rule is helpful as well. To be kind one to another, tenderhearted. You know, sometimes we just forget that. We get so hooked into the injustice that we just get, um, um, you know, all riled up. But I think that uh, this gal, she's really uh, in a place of... Um, truly sincerely seeking God so when these questions how do I get more faith like Jesus's disciples you just be faithful you know it's not we, we got to get away from this idea that my quality the quality of my faith the strength of my faith my spiritual walk the the vitality of my spiritual walk is determined by how I feel today or how I think I'm doing spiritually your soul cannot give you it's not an instrument that's qualified or able to give you a reading on the uh, the nature of what's going on in your spirit, it's not capable. It's not. It's like using a um, uh, you know a sixth grade uh, microscope or telescope to examine the galaxies beyond this one. It just can't do it. You can't do it, and so you can't use your mind to give you a good readout on how you're doing the spirit. Sometimes you're doing best in your spirit when you're feeling the worst. When you're feeling like you're screwed up, nothing's going right, you've lost it all, and you might as well throw in the towel, and and the devil's really pushing it, pushing that agenda. That's the time you're the closest to God. 
and you have his heart, his ear, his compassion. So, yeah. So if we surrender our will and our reasoning, that's the only way to get us out of the way. We have to get out of the way. We are in the way of our own faith because of our past experiences. So many people make their experiences the sacred book of how I'm going to figure out what to do and what I should do next. But so only when we get out of the way can faith really move its mountains. And, you know, doubt says, oh, well, that can't happen. And you're the one praying and you don't have enough faith. And are you sure it's God's will? I mean, there's another big doubt the devil throws. Are you sure it's God's will? Are you sure you're in God's will? You might not be in God's will. Maybe you're not in God's will. If you were in God's will, you know, everything would be hunky-dory. Uh, that's not true either. Of course, Jesus himself was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness. The wilderness. Bad place. Tough place. Not a happy place. To be tempted by the devil. So the Holy Spirit purposely led him to, up to the wilderness, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So you could say the Holy Spirit set him up or let him in. But Jesus went willingly because he knew there had to be this refining. It says, even he learned obedience through the things he suffered. Well, in Hebrews. Well, he already was obedient. He was always obedient. But the obedience had to be proven. It had to be demonstrated because the devil's going to say, well, he didn't have any hard tests. So we don't really know what he would have done because no one ever put him to the test. He was such a pansy and the father just gave him everything and you know, I mean, that was no mission. That was just a, you know, he was a favored son all the way through. And, and God was, you know, there's, this, is, this is all not fair. Baptism or whatever. The devil is such a whiner. So God had to let his own son go into the wilderness, go into the troubled places, not because he didn't have faith, but because he was t- his faith was being tested or um, perfected. Does that make sense? Anybody else out there got a question? I'll give you the number again. 347-215-8051. Did I say that too fast? 347-215-8051. Thank you for um, listening. Thank you for taking a minute to give us a call. It's uh, a lot more fun over here if we got people out there that can talk to us. So thank you for calling and thank you for thinking about it. And I'll just do it like the Nike commercial says. Okay, so we surrender our will and our reasoning to get out of the way, get out of the way, so that faith, like I said, can move its mountains. But the timing of deliverances must coincide perfectly with the open. You you can have a miracle. The prison doors can open. But if there's no prisoners that need to be set free, then it's not that big of a miracle, you know. Um, Or the earth swallow, we can have earthquakes. But when the earthquake swallows up the uh, adversaries of Moses at just the exact moment that Moses said, here, draw the line. You guys get on that side. You guys, if you're on my side, get over here. And the earth swallows them up. That is kind of like non-coincidental, pretty powerful and very deliberate and pretty awesome. So miracles, there's a timing to them. Deliverance, you know, is, is deliverance of the captives, the souls of the precious mankind must be accomplished within this timing this miraculous framework of faith now let me tell you something right now there is such a move of of people towards 
multitudes, multitudes in the Valley of Decision. There's such a move of people out of their little cubicles, out of their lofts, out of their corners, out of their, you know, little uh, niches and, 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 and small lives and, you know, the coldness, the sterileness of, you know, texting and Facebooking and never having human contact and, and, and there's, there's, they've been spit out of the church. But there's such a huge movement now of these people to, to come out into the open in what we call these festivals, the pagan festivals. I mean, they're just growing rapidly and they're, um, they're just full of people who are willing, wanting, hungry for conversations. So faith would say, let's believe God for the deliverance of these precious souls. Um, a faith that sees beyond the finite. You know, it, it, what is the Bible says that God will do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. So the best that you can think, the most phenomenal way you can imagine something, God can do beyond that. I mean, I, I can't go. I, I mean, I guess somehow I think I got to think up the answer to my prayer. Somehow I got to figure it out. Some way it's okay. It's going to come through this. It's going to come through that. And then it comes a different way. And it comes in such a subtle way. Sometimes the answer comes that you don't even notice it's there until yeah, probably five weeks later. It's like, Oh yeah. Oh, that was, that's a good solution. Yeah. I never thought of that. here. You've been doing it for five weeks and it's been there and you didn't even recognize it as God's solution. But sometimes faith comes softly. It comes, you know, it just kind of comes and, it's in such a way that we almost don't even thank God for it because we don't even recognize it. Like in any, like I said before, in a lot of the bad things, there's a good thing, you know, um, whatever. If, if there's too much rain, it's a good thing in that it's replenishing the, the water levels, the water table. I mean, it's just like wherever there's a bad thing, there's always a good thing. And faith believes God to do it his way. I don't have to come up with the ways. I can ask God for things. I say, God, you know, it'd be really nice if I'd get a, a new job. Yeah. Or get a whatever. And I know that the enemy wants to just make those things so difficult. Like, God, oh God, you've got to help me. And what's going to happen? And oh no. And the panic buttons will get pushed. But you keep saying, you know, God, you're keeping me. I'm okay. You're training me through all this. All things work together for good. I've got you today. I'll make it through the day. I don't have to have a job by 7 o'clock tonight or whatever, a new job. We just have to keep walking by faith. Faith is not feelings, and faith doesn't always feel comfortable. It doesn't feel normal. It doesn't feel natural because it isn't. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. So, now, it's so, you know, man... Through faith, not blind faith, but through a faith that sees beyond the realm of finite or what we see in our, with our natural lives and minds and eyes into the kingdom of God, only that kind of faith can truly move mountains. Um, only with that kind of faith can we really pray, thy will be done on earth in and through me. So you, you realize we're living in parallel worlds, that the, the spiritual world is like, you, stick, you can stick your hand right into it. Just push your hand out and reach into the spirit. In the spiritual world, you can, by faith, you know, the faith of God as he directs, reach in there and pull things out or ask for things that are right there because these worlds are so 
over they're, they're not just overlapping they're uh pre uh, uh transitioned upon upon each other they're they're within each other um superimposed on each other so the spiritual world is not far away it's not like oh i have to go up to heaven talk god into something here it's just like god what's your will what's your will today Keep me in your peace. Perfect peace will they have whose mind is stayed on him. It's not about religious duties. It's about rest and abiding and the, and the Holy Spirit, you know, keeping the law of love in and through us. So faith makes no sense to the mind of the common man. To him it is foolishness. But in fact... It is the opposite of far, as far from foolishness. It's kind of foolish, isn't it, to believe, this seems more foolish to me, to believe that everything is what it is and that random chance is responsible for all of the accidental perfection we see around us. Yeah, that we see evident everywhere in creation. Yeah, especially those parts that remain untainted by human hands, human improvement. You know, like look, for example, at the beauty of the, the, the pristine beauty of, you know, some of the natural forests and parks and waterfalls and places where man hasn't been. And you see this gorgeous, you know, unhindered, untampered uh, with beauty. And, and you tell me that that's just an accident. That's just a random chance, an evolutionary, um, you know, event and then we believe, you know, that chaos and explosions build buildings and bring order. You know, and we see evidence everywhere in creation that exists, that, that things, that, that um, we can make these things. We believe. We see the beauty of creation, the order, and we believe somehow that believing that is foolish. Because we think that Random chance accidents and chaos are the way that things come into being. Tell me who's foolish. Tell me what's ridiculous and not faith at all. So the so there's just a lot of stuff that we struggle with because we've seen it and because we see it, we think we know it. When we don't know it, we've just seen it. But when you know that you know what you know because you've seen it with the eye of faith, then you can stand on it. Hey, but let's take a little break here and see what else we have tonight. I think we're going to be talking about confusion. Why can't I concentrate? That's another big problem, right? Sin and concentration. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, whoa, uh, where were we here? So often we find it hard to keep our thoughts focused amid the frenzied pace of our multitasking, multimedia world. So many distractions. Should I empty my mind or should I fill it? And brain fog moves in again and we feel blanked out, blocked out, and scattered every which way. It's a tough way to live. Attention deficit, autism, and Alzheimer's have become epidemic in our modern society. It's an all-out war the enemy is waging for our hearts and minds. Where's the help? Where's the hope? Why Can't I Concentrate? is Marjorie Cole's dynamic CD that shows just how the enemy is working to shut down our minds and most importantly, how we can be free. To place your order for Why Can't I Concentrate, go to liferecovery.com. Again, that's liferecovery.com. 
Yeah, and the devil loves confusion, you know, including emptying your mind with all kinds of yoga and, and um, you know, meditations and silliness. Or music. He can fill your mind with, you know, junk. Or he can empty your mind and both kind of has the same effect. But going back to this idea of evolution, random chance and accidents, you know, we, we say that we're an accident, you know, cosmic accident. There was no purposeful um, thought in making us because we're just, you know, random and, you know, we came from the slime. And yet, on the other side of this, we somehow think that we're going to culminate in the deification of ourselves but that makes no sense. Well, we're going to become gods when we were not even significant enough to be thought of in the first place or thought of, loved, known in the first place by anything other than ourselves. It's like, do we, do we realize how illogical we are in a lot of these things? We just, this is folly and reason has brought us to it. You know, we're trying to, we're trying with evolution and actually also, um, the depravity of man theories and theologies. We're trying to really, uh, for in evolution, we're trying to really decrease, remove the concept of our significance, our identity as human beings. You know, we came from monkeys, we're not significant. But yet, why do we have such a built-in desire then to be immortal? You know, everybody's trying to be immortal. Uh, whether they're doing it through reincarnation or singularity and putting, uh, you know, having their bodies replaced with machines and computer chips and things that don't wear out and whatever. Uh, so we don't die. Why don't we want to die? You know, because we are built by God to not want to die. That's why. And yet the ways we go after immortality are mostly folly unless we come to the Lord and recognize we can have eternal life with hardly any, we don't even have to make a good case for it. We don't have to explain to God why we should want eternal life, why he should give it to us, because God has already said, I want you to have it. I made a way for you to have it. You are going to live forever, somewhere. Bottom line, we're not going to turn into worms and maggots and go back into the ground and become dust again and da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, maybe your body might do that, my body might do that, but we're not, our souls live, live on. And... We don't return as a butterfly or, uh, you know, uh, an amoeba or a rat or anything else. That's, that's the devil's distraction. He has reincarnation. God has redemption. God has resurrection. Yeah. Resurrection is way better than reincarnation. Yeah. I, I, I don't see why people can't. Why? When God's ways are much more, uh, they're simple. They're much better, they're um, good, they're um, reasonable, in, in his mind anyway. Why do we have to have our own way? We're, 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 it's almost like we're borderline. Human beings are like borderline personalities. They've got to have, they're so insistent upon their own way and controlling everything that they'll kill themselves to prove that they're right, to be in control. I mean, it's like, that is suicide. That's stupid. That's not even reasonable. Even your own mind isn't that irreasonable. So what is that irrational, irrational in our human minds that is making us do these things? They're so de- self-destructive under the guise of self-deification. It does not make sense. Unless, of course, you're duped, deceived, mesmerized, 
and don't get it. The only way we're going to get our eyes open is through faith, and faith comes by again, spending time with God, letting the Holy Spirit lead us. Make, so faith makes no sense to the common mind of the common man who believes that things are what he says they are and that they will stay the way they are because he says so. I mean, I don't care what you believe. You can believe whatever you want to believe. God says you can believe whatever you want to believe. That doesn't make it true. That doesn't make it so. And in the end, it's not going to mean anything. It's not going to make any difference. It's just going to mean that you got tricked to the max. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to be stubborn, um, self-righteous, blind, and ignorant? Blindness and error in understanding comes from not rightly dividing the Word of God or not paying any attention to it at all. And it brings us to this kind of blind ignorance and foolishness. I've got to control the world. To fashion a world I have to, I, so I can control it. I have to limit the world. I have to explain the world. I have to control the world. I have to control everybody in the world so they do what I want done, so they look like me, act like me, so I'm okay, and I'm in control. Because I'm afraid to let go and surrender to God, who, ironically enough, already knows and sees and saw everything about me before I was. And for all that he knew, he does not hate you. For all that he knows about me, he doesn't hate me. Because he is committed through his love, to make me his son and daughter, if I am willing. That's the only caveat to the whole thing. God is not going to force us to go to heaven. He's not going to grab us around the neck and say, you're going to love me. He's not making us robots. He's not a bully. He's saying, you can be who I made you to be. Awesome. Daughter, princess, prince, son, daughter of the Most High God. But you have to be willing to trust me. You have to be willing to agree with me. You have to be willing to believe that I can do what I say I can do. I am who I say I am, and I'm able to rescue you. That's what faith means. It means you know, that you're just trusting. Uh, you're uh, demonstrating your, your faith through your obedience and following him. Yeah, and you know, the other thing about God, the Heavenly Father, is that he is completely void of human sin error and ambition, including greed and vanity. So God is, because God is love, God is already predisposed to have to do things on the up and up. He cannot, you know, go behind the scenes, pull strings, um, you know, uh, bribe us, trick us. He is secure and complete in himself. That is good news because it's only insecure people and unhappy people that are dangerous because they're always looking for something. They're greedy, they're vain, they're unsatisfied. So happy people and secure people are pretty safe. So God is secure and complete in himself and it needs nothing. You know, he needs nothing. So that make, means he's not vulnerable to committing a sin to get something like we are. We're vulnerable. We need air to breathe. We need food to eat. So that means we're vulnerable to commit a sin to get those things if those things are not available. And of course the devil makes those Situations happen so that we will be tested to see if we're going to trust God or take the devil's solution and then sin. But the only thing that God needs, the only place he is vulnerable, is in his need to love and be loved. Yeah. But by the very nature of his love, it, 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 it forbids him, it keeps him from sinning 
or doing anything unrighteous to receive or obtain it. He cannot force us, like I said, to love him. He doesn't bribe us. He doesn't trick us. He doesn't mislead us into loving him or believing his word. He is motivated by the power of his love for us, you know, and his power submits to his love. So that's why we get that scripture, faith works by love. This, all God is asking us to do is be like him, to do it like he does it. And the way he does it is the only way we can do it and escape the condemnation and judgments of the, of the evil one. God is our father. That's his relationship with us. He's not a, a cosmic force. He's not, a, he's not just an um, uh, intelligent designer of the universe. He's not a, a, a disinterested party who just got playing around with his paints in his, in his craft room one day and painted a sky and then he threw a couple stars in there and then he got really into it and got all crazy about everything. He's not, he is interested. He is purposeful. He is deliberate. He suffers. He, he suffers pain when we suffer. He's longing for us to be with him. You know, he has given us his only begotten son who is our savior to be, to also deliver us from this, fallen world, this evil world, to heal us. He's our advocate when the enemy comes as the accuser. Jesus is our defender, our redeemer, our rescuer, and our best friend. This is true. Why can't it be true? Who says it can't be true just because it's really cool? Why can't there be something that's true that's really good? Why can't truth be really, really good? Why does truth have to be always, you know, um, sort of bad? Or, or hard or harsh. The truth is that God loves us and together in their love, the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. And his job is to dwell in us, to keep us from being alone, to guide us, instruct us in this horrible, treacherous battle for our souls. Yeah, in their mission, you know, to make us like them. This is the Trinity's missions, to make us like, to restore, re- reunite us faith, brings us back home. Faith is the act of surrendering our free will and our reasoning to follow them freely and find the true desire of our hearts that God has placed with, within us from the very beginning to completion, to um, fulfillment, to know him and to love him and to be with him in that unbroken fellowship forever. How, how good is that? This world is temporary. I don't know what you're going through right now, um, but I know that the truth brings peace and freedom and the truth sets us free to know that we're loved and that to know that it's going to be okay. So I'm saying to you tonight, let's put away this really ridiculous folly and fear and pride and relying on your past and the demonic programming of your past experiences and take a look at what's really going on here in the transactions that are being made for the souls of men and to live truly in the freedom and the truth that Jesus died to give you until he comes back again. So, bottom line, the greatest obstacle to walking in faith, or the greatest obstacle to faith, is our own past experiences, our reasoning, embracing our own feelings and our experiences instead of what God says. Now, I hope that's clearing things up for you a little bit. But anyway, so let's, you know... Let's talk about that some more. Anybody else? 
call me up. Let's talk about your faith. Talk about some specific problems um, to faith. I hate to make it so simple, people. <laughs> but faith is pretty simple, and I think the enemy has tried to make it all complicated and difficult. So call me. Here's the number, 347-215-8051. I'm waiting. Come on. You can do this. You can call me. Unless I've just explained it so well that nobody has any questions. Yeah, right? So then the issue becomes specific problems and specific, you know, ways of knowing the will of God specifically. I think generally we know what faith requires, that we love God, obey God, follow God, demonstrate our confidence in God. But how do you really, how do you really, I think I've kind of explained it already though, you know, on your specific everyday deal, everyday duties, getting up, walking through your day, you know, how do you do that? I mean, depression tries to hit you, exhaustion tries to hit you, um, poor me comes in and tries to, you know, have tea with you and, and make you feel bad, upset, alone. Um, it's just, can, can we have the victory? Faith is the victory. Can we have the victory that overcomes the world? And what kind of faith is God going to have us believe? But, you know, when it gets, let's see, let's look at those gifts for a second. It's First uh, Corinthians chapter 12. It says, covet earnestly the, the spiritual gifts. He says, now, in verse 12, um, verse 1 of 12, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, wherever you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Christ is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. All right, now we go into the... Okay, hold on. I think we got someone who wants to talk. Hello. Hi. I met Hello. somebody today who um, was raised in a denominational church and left it at a young age. And, you know, he's pretty sure that he doesn't believe in God because I've had so much trouble in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he's pretty pretty free to say, well, I'll find out when I get to the end of my life mm. if God is real and should mm. I believe in him because, boy, he sure didn't seem to be there when I was going through a whole bunch of trouble. And he's 81 years old now. Oh, my. He's an old guy. Yeah, and his wife died four years ago, and he's kind of wondering if maybe she's in heaven, and maybe maybe she was right, maybe there really is a heaven. What do you say to somebody like this? Okay, so um, if I got this right, I, there's one part I wanted to um, that you to repeat. So you said he didn't believe in God um, because he's had so much trouble in his life and that he was pretty sure he'd find him at the end of his life. And what was the other thing you said right well, there? Well, he didn't actually say he thought he'd find him at the end of his life. He said God can't be real because oh. there's so much evil in the world. Okay. And I've had so much trouble in my life. And if God had been real, 
he would have shown up somehow and so and my oh, wife okay. died four years ago and mm-hmm. well I think she might I mean she talked about heaven so maybe she's in heaven and but you know he didn't want to hear anything about God because he's really pretty well decided he isn't real Where yeah got it yeah. okay well first of all you know I have to respond to the you know, I've had so much trouble in my life, therefore God, you know, is letting all this evil happen, therefore he can't possibly be real, um, right. can't be real because of so much evil. <sighs> wow. Um, does the presence of evil cancel out the existence of God? Does it really? I mean, well, I think he's going on his old definition of God is love, and therefore a loving God would have answered my prayers. Well, a loving God did send the solution through Jesus Christ. You know, he sent, he, 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 and he's with us still. And the reason, again, this man might have a problem with so much evil in the world is because he does not, as most people do not, um, understand the activity and the... Um, huge raft of activity that the devil conducts against us every day in hopes to defeat us, discourage us, and persuade us that God can't be real because of all the evil, because God should have, could have, if he was real, would have done something by now. But he has done something by now. But the man is in great jeopardy, and I think his main first problem is the stupor that he is in, the, the acceptance of the lie. Uh, built on his own reasoning, of course, that there can't be a God because he should have come by now. He should have done something by now. Um, there's so many bad things that have happened in my life. Now, the problem is, I would say this man is probably very typical of um, the whole generation of human beings who have been beat up by the law, mixing law and grace, mixing the gospel of Jesus Christ and good news with the, with the law of be good. And when we try to be good, obviously, as in the Old Testament was demonstrated, but so much even continues to stay, trying to be good, and that's one of the things a lot of believers believe is I've got to be good to get to heaven, even though they know that's not true. They know it's because Jesus died on the cross. But still, they're hooked into this be good kind of behavior, and when they can't be good after a while, they, well, they, they fail. They sin. They break the law of be good. And so when you break the law and they believe God has given us the law, then they become uh, guilty. They feel, I'm bad, I'm guilty, it's my fault. And, of course, the devil is right there to charge them with guilt and those uh, impressed charges of, it's my fault and I'm guilty. Therefore, they are then indirectly agreeing with the indictments of the evil one, the deceiver, and he becomes the one who judges them. So a lot of the troubles this man is going to have in his life or have had, maybe coming out of what I call demonic judgments. Instead of, you know, repenting, instead of confessing, he's just, you know, taking the blame, doing the penance, getting more estranged from God, feeling more alienated, more isolated, more unheard, more lost, more mad, because it's not fair. And pretty soon the demonic judgments of guilt have pushed him into the place of bitterness and resentment Against God. Now, does God, he realize that that is Satan saying that to him, or does he think that's just himself. me saying that? Yeah, I think he thinks it's himself. I, th- I don't see. 
a lot of times Satan will dress himself up as our own self-talk or our own self or the strong man that impersonates us to ourself. And so he's so used to listening to this demon counselor counsel him on the condition of his soul that he does not dismiss this thing. He doesn't take it, he t- doesn't take it captive. He doesn't um, make every thought subject to Christ. He doesn't, you know, you know put his, his thoughts up against the word of God and, and measure them according to uh, the truth of God's word. So he is really locked in the counsel of a lot of familiar spirits who are, de- are demonic and he doesn't know that. And so the, the first thing I would do if I were you, um, you know, it's, you're going to have to have divine wisdom. The Bible says he that wins souls is wise. This man does not know the condition uh, that he's in. Now, here's what I would do. I would ask him. Um, we're going to go back to where we can start. And the starting place is always, you know, Jesus. So have you, do you believe, I'd say to him, do you believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins? And see what he says. Um, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Do you believe he's seated at the right hand of the Father? Basically, those three questions, why, by answering them yes, you're also declaring that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, the Savior, the Son of God. And he's coming again. So if he says yes to all those things, we say, well, then according to God's word, you are saved. Now, you ha- you're saved but beat up a lot. You're kidnapped. You're still worth saving. I mean, it's like someone who is in, uh, they can be the king's son or daughter and be held hostage, enslaved, kept in a concentration camp, beat up every day. That doesn't mean they're not the king's son or daughter. It doesn't change their identity. It changes their location. And this man, his identity, if he gets back to who he is, created by God, does he believe he's made by God? Does he believe he's, a monkey, an amoeba? Does he believe he's, he's come from God? If he's come from God, made by God, then uh, he might be old enough to realize he's got to, you know, return to his maker. I don't know. Some of the older people have this more of a, you know, concept of returning to their maker than the younger ones do. But I would say ask him if he believes Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and is he at the right hand of the Father. If he says yes, then say, you know what, you're saved. Let's go from there. That means that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That means that you, you, have, you have an inheritance in Jesus Christ. That means it doesn't matter how much you've suffered. Um, and there was a lot of things. And God wants to bring justice. So here's the way we step through that. We begin to forgive. First, forgive yourself for being so, um, believing so many lies. And, and, and then believe, and forgive others for, release them from their, your judgment. Release yourself from your judgment. And then go on to just take little baby steps. He's not going to get very far in understanding it all unless God would give him a huge download, but at least he will get into heaven. And that's the most important part. If he hasn't accepted Jesus, uh, a no, lot of times... he hasn't. Well, he, then... We you know, asked him enough to know that he's... He's saying Jesus didn't appear to very many people after this so-called resurrection... But he does have just enough question about what Jesus said to those disciples. So maybe, just maybe, he's real. Well, you know what? If he's a if he's a a, a, a wise man, I would take a gamble on the fact that Jesus Christ is real. You got nothing to lose. He's already lived yeah. the way he wanted to live it anyway. And if Jesus Christ is real. 
He's got everything to gain. If Jesus Christ isn't real, he's got nothing much to lose. If there's no heaven, no hell, no nothing. But if he is real and he gambles on the fact that he's probably not real and just blows it off, he has his eternal, eternal life to lose on a bad wager, and it's not worth it. So I would say, and the fact is that he's even understanding that Jesus didn't appear to very many people. Um, he knows stuff. He knows more than you think he knows. I mean, that's not a common thing for a total unbeliever to know that Jesus didn't appear to right. many people. He was raised uh, Lutheran, and so he does know, you know, he knew some Bible stories. Um, mm-hmm. But talk a little bit more about what that stupor is you were saying. Well, it's it's the blindness. It's a it's a uh, eyes that cannot see, ears that cannot hear, heart that cannot receive. It's it's deaf and dumb. It's the familiar. He's so used to living in this, and I think a lot of people are they're they're so used to living with a God that doesn't exist, or with a God that doesn't care, or with a a, a religious God that you know take him or leave him, with a religious God that they're sick of, mad at, or done with. They don't have. They've not given our God, the one true God, the Heavenly Father, a fair a fair chance to show who He is or prove Himself, because they have been brainwashed by their denominations, by their religions, by their religious practices to become disillusioned. And the fruit of His life, the fruit of it is disillusionment. And Jesus said, "By their fruits you shall know them." So what has He been believing? He must have been believing delusions or lies. So if the fruit of, of the life would be joy and peace and anticipation, his wife sounds like she knew more about heaven. Sounds like, you know, he, and, and does he want to see her again? There's another compelling argument. Well, if she did believe Jesus, she is in heaven. And do you want to see her again? Do you and want you know what he said about that? What? He said, I haven't heard anything from her or from anyone else in heaven. Yeah, well... That doesn't mean heaven's not real. See, again, he's it. using his reasoning to make, he's, his finite reasoning to make infinite conclusions that are obviously going to uh, last forever, ca- ca- may cost him his eternal life. Um, your love for him, you could ask him, why should I care about you when you don't seem to care about yourself? Why should... Because God has, God's love is compelling me, God's love for you is compelling me to take the time to bring this very important discussion to you. Now, will you let me pray for you? Will you, can I lead you in this prayer? Um, the urgency demands that you uh, have wisdom and that you, uh, you know what to say. Because we can't, this is, these are like, this is things where you don't want to fumble the ball. You don't want to lose this. And it's not your fault. I mean, if he chooses to go out without accepting Jesus, it's not because you have failed. But I believe, again, we go back to that scripture, he that wins souls is wise because the devil is so intricately, you know, wound up, bound up, uh, caught up, snared, trapped, entrapped, enslaved the people's souls, minds, reasonings, that so many of them are just hard to get out of that mess, except through love. Right. Right. So that's a... Yeah, go ahead. Well, 
changing the subject just a little, I was mm-hmm. talking with someone yesterday who is a believer, mm-hmm. but she still believes that she's got to read a lot more books so she can figure out how mm-hmm. to get into heaven because because after all, she's been a sinner her whole life. So she doesn't have any idea what righteousness means or or grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a little bit of the same thing. Yeah. It goes back again to false reasoning or human reasoning. I've been a sinner for so long, so I have to read a whole bunch of books. Well, if she's stopped reading all those books and just read the book, the Bible, and realize that, you know, the, the thief on the cross was in paradise that very day, and I don't think he read a lot of books to get there. Um, you, you know, there's just this is so illogical. It's so it's so religious. It's so yes, what the it's devil is doing. Religious. The yep. devil is religious. He there is a, there are religious spirits, pious deceivers, who make people think, feel, uh, strive to do to be saved, to do this, do that when it's already been done and they just can't settle down and believe it because the religious demons are always demanding of them more and more and more, more perfection, more work, more this, more that. And, and this is silly. Now you ask this woman who's reading all these books, how's that working for you? I mean, how's that going? Are you feeling? You know what she does? She goes down and rearranges her books to put them in a certain order so that because there's not much time left, and I have to get enough read so that I can be good enough for God. Well, how's that working for you? Is that what God said to do in the <laughs> Word? He said, rearrange your bookshelf and put it, you know, she's not even reading the books. She's rearranging them. This is total insanity. This well, she's is like, reading, you know, as fast as she can. Every day she's reading another one. So. Well, but but what's it doing? It's stressing her out, wearing her out, making her tired, oh, she's yeah. doubtful, doubtful, not sure. None of that is the fruit of righteousness, peace, and joy. None of that's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. None of that's the the, the demand the Holy Spirit is putting on her. That's the demand a demon spirit acting as a Holy Spirit or acting as a as a pious deceiver or as a religious counselor from hell under the guise of helping her get to heaven. It's it's uh it's like okay, it's like you're using a the the forest guide, the guy, you're, you know, you're going through the forest, you're in the park, you, you, you think you're following the park ranger who you believe knows exactly how to get you out of the forest, you're lost. And what you've done is you've just followed uh, the, 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 the guy dressed up like the park ranger who is the, the grim reaper, and he's leading you to the place where he's going to kill you and have you for lunch. And But he looks like the park ranger, and he sounds like the park ranger, and he's got the uniform on. And you believe that he's going to show you the way out when, in fact, he's showing you the way deeper into the mess. This is what these demonic counselors do. We believe they are, because they, they sound like, act like, pretend to be, you know, on our side and helping us. I know people think this is, you know, not possible, but there's, it's, a, it's a very viable explanation for why people believe lies and get so deceived because God didn't make you um, to be evil, but you can surely be tricked by evil. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I think, yeah, because she feels evil. So she's believing that 
Well, I she's have on to a torture somehow rack. get it right before I get to heaven. See, this is the torture rack. You've got one demon on one side of the torture rack making her feel bad, evil, guilty, unworthy, un- not good enough, unholy. And so that's on one side of the torture rack. And then you have that, another de- demon who comes to say, well, let me help you. Here, let's get you holy. Let's get you good. Let's get you reading all these books to try to figure out how to make God happy. How about if we just go back to the book and see what makes God happy instead of reading all these books that have nothing to do with what God said probably in the first place. Why is it that we can't believe God? Why is it we prefer to believe the demon inside of us who sounds like us or sounds like the Holy Spirit instead of the Holy Spirit? Because these demons are good at what they do. They're very tricky. They're very... Uh, and 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 you know we're very desperate, needy, gullible, deceivable, and we, you know, if it wouldn't be for God and the fact that God sees all this and knows all this and has a a plan for us and is able to um, make all things work together for good, we would be toast, all of us. But God sees this. God knows what's going on, and I think a lot of people actually end up going to heaven. If this woman, now you ask this person. You ask her the same question you ask this man. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he rose from the dead? Do you believe he's coming back again? Um, As the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, do you believe that? And if they say yes to that, even if they don't know how they believe it or don't understand it, then the Bible says, you know, and then you could ask her too, have you ever called upon the name of the Lord? Well, obviously she's called upon the name of the Lord because she wants to be saved. So right. then the Bible says, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, you're saved. You are saved. Now let's go forward from there. Now let's go backward and think we're not there. Let's start from where we're standing in truth, that you are saved, daughter of God, don't know much, still pretty tricked, pretty screwed up, but your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and your salvation is, is intact. Now let's let the Holy Spirit begin to take away the lies, the demonic programming, and begin to sanctify you in the truth. So that's where I would say for both of them, and a lot of times people think you've got to feel something in order to believe something. Well, I don't feel God's will. Yeah, I know. I believe he died on the cross. In their spirit, they will say yes. But in their soul, they'll say, well, I don't feel like it. So don't say, well, what do you feel like or what do you think? Say, what do you know? Did Jesus die on the cross for your sins? What do you know? You know, and not what you think or feel. Well, don't say, well, what do you think? Did he die? What, or don't even say what you believe. Don't ask him what do you believe. Say, what do you know? Did he die on the cross for your sins or not? And they may say, I don't know. And then say, well, yeah, well, where's I don't know from? Is that from heaven or hell? Who'd be answering that question? Well, me. Well, there's only two kingdoms, heaven and hell. So where's me from? You're from heaven, right? God made you, so me. What is me doing? Me is a spirit that's impersonating you to you to get you to be deceived and tricked. So me is from hell. So me is from hell and you're from heaven. So why are you listening to me when me is not you? Does that make sense? Yes. And I think that um, that what is happening for a lot of people I know is that they honestly do not believe that mm-hmm. should they die today and they're still sinful in their mind, mm-hmm. that God is going to say, oh, well, grace will cover that. They think that... that they're going to be condemned at the last second. That's because their concept of God is also screwed up. 
Um, I'm not making, we're not looking for a way to continue to sin that, that grace may abound. We're not abusing grace here. We're just saying what God says. God says, I gave you a law for a reason. It was to protect you. It was to define you as my people. You were not able to keep that law. That law was never intended to be the purpose or the means of sanctification. It was only meant to be a temporary means of protection and um, identification. Even right. so, you are not able to keep that law, but that is not what's going to save you or sanctify you. What saves you is accepting you can't keep the law. You showed it over and over. Some people even maybe got pretty close, kept a lot of it. I'm sure Mary and Joseph and several, you know, John the Baptist, whatnot. I'm sure that they were pretty close to, to keeping it all as much as they could. But the law could not sanctify us. It cannot perfect us. It cannot save us. So God is saying, you know what? You can't do it anyway, so I'm just going to give it to you as grace. Here it is. Salvation. Free gift. You can earn it. It's not just for the rich boys. It's for everybody, whosoever will. Call upon the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, the paupers and the poverty-stricken and the broken probably will get into har- harlots will get into heaven before these religious dudes. You know, so it's like it's a gift. It's, and so God doesn't go back and forth and say, well, well, maybe I'll give it to you as a gift. Well, well maybe, maybe, no, no, I think today... It's going to depend on how good you are. No, salvation is a gift. Bottom line, period. That's it. Sanctification, however, is uh, that the process comes through obedience, the deliverance, the healing, the 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 the, um, qualification, making us more like Jesus, comes through obedience to the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a whole different measure, and that's a whole different thing that determines rewards and positions, not not getting to heaven. So, um, so there's where the mix-up comes. I believe, I believe that they, they believe that there's really only that one judgment where I'm in or I'm not. And if yeah. I don't arrive in perfect shape, I'm not in. There's no one that's perfect. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus, when he was speaking to the rich young ruler, the rich young ruler said, "Good master." What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said there's none good but one, and that's God. Now, that's a slap in the face of anybody who's trying to be good because he's saying it doesn't count. Go ahead. Be good. You want to be good? Be good. But it ain't going to count for nothing. I mean, that's, that's kind of frustrating. Okay, go take this class. Go through all the pain. Write the papers. Yeah, but you're not going to get any credits for it. You've got to pay the tuition, but it ain't going to count. And I can't put it on your transcript, and it's not going to help you get a job. This is, you know, you're on your own, buddy you want to be good no jesus said there's none good but one and that's god all of sin comes show the glory of god you're the the rich young ruler didn't get an anna's report card he got an invitation to follow jesus lay you know mm. give alms give away your stuff and come follow me and the guy said eh, i can't do that that's too hard because i have got a lot of stuff so he's so mixing up being I, saved with sanctification sounds like yeah, absolutely, and, this, and and Jesus corrected that again. He says there's none good. So it's not about being good. It's about accepting the gift. I know it's just how this can be so difficult when it is so incredibly simple is the, the, the magnificent work of the evil one mm-hmm. who has done a splendid job of right. deceiving us. So right. sounds like you've got your work cut out for you, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I right. would say you keep seeking the Lord and asking for wisdom and pray before you go to talk to these people, binding the spirits of deaf and dumb and stupor and um, 
unbelief and self-condemnation and even uh, binding the spirits that blind their eyes and their hearts and their minds so that they can receive the, the, the counsel, the comfort, the revelation, loosing, of course, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a lot of materials on these kinds of things on our website, liferecovery.com. And so, you know, if you haven't looked there, um, the one, uh, you know, that we talked about tonight, if I'm a Christian or if I'm a believer, why do I still sin? Uh, that's a good one. And then there's another one called Untangling the Lies. We talks about these uh, impersonating spirits that work through our souls, our minds, and our emotions. So there's some help there. And, uh, you know, feel free to call in anytime. Um, we just really enjoy your calls, and they, you know, help the, I think they help everybody, you know, get a better grasp of what's, how to specifically apply these things. So Good. any other, yeah. So we're going to wrap this up for tonight, and uh, thank you again for calling, and uh, you just go ahead and call again. So, Father okay. God, we thank you for this night. We thank you for the people out there who are listening and for the people who are lost. And, Lord, the harvest truly is great, but the labors are few. And, Lord, I pray that you would send forth labors into the harvest field, that you are the Lord of the harvest, and that this night would make great uh, help be a great help to those who are uh, looking to understand how easy faith is because it's your faith and it's resting in your completed work. In Jesus' name, we ask these things now. Until next week when we are going to join, you can join us for uh, Mobilizing Men. What's the matter with the men? What's the matter with the men? Where are they? And what are they stuck in? And we're going to be talking to some of the... Uh, uh, one of the guys that we're going to be talking to is a guy named Kurt Thomas. He's a men's director at one of our bigger churches in the metro area um, and uh, see what he's got to say. So join us next week, same place, 7 to 10, I mean 7 to 9. Okay, God bless you. Good night. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.